Hello everyone and welcome to That Was Genius. This is a funny history podcast by Tom Berry and Sam Datter, exploring little-known stories and corners of the past. We'll get to the history shortly, but first, a couple of minutes of what we ominously call, quote, witty banter, highlights of our pre-recording chat, which usually ends up being mostly toilet humour. How was the editing for my sneezes last week? How did you find that? Uh, your sneezes gave me pleases. That made no sense. Uh, it was fine. <laughs> it was As they formed cheeses on the floor. <laughs> Um, yes, your sneezes were uh, of an amplitude unknown by my headphones so far. Literally one side of my headphones stopped working. Just blue. Just went... Just, yeah, literally just the waveforms of snot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be pleased to know we're not going to have the same problem this week because I've discovered saltwater douching. You were talking about saltwater douching before. Was I? <laughs> when was I talking about saltwater douching? Last, literally last week. How have I... How did I... Tell you about salt saltwater douching before I discovered saltwater douching. I don't know. This is a little bit like Terminator. Has there been some time travel involved? <laughs> a private doucher, doucher for money. <laughs> do uh, what well, you want you. me to douche. <laughs> I'll douche your backside, your ear hole, your nose, or your urethra. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want cleaning, <laughs> I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> But not with fresh water. It's got. Why did Tina Turner turn into David Bowie? <laughs> Big rails keep on turning. Mary <laughs> keeps on rolling. Rolling. Oh no, it's just turned into Danny the drug dealer slash Danny the roadie from With Nail and I slash Wayne's World 2. <laughs> I left the good job in the city, working for the man every night and day. Um, yeah, anyway, I highly recommend Saltwater Douching, by the way, if you ever have a tickly nose. Wonderful. It does bring back fond memories of beach holidays as a child. <laughs> <laughs> when my daddy would salt water douche me and his daddy would salt water douche him. <laughs> thinking more of sort of uh, almost drowning episodes. Um, <laughs> oh, childhood holidays at Guantanamo Bay, yes. <laughs> Waterboarded in New Quay. Yeah. <laughs> Any British tag team. Speaking of cleansing... <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> so talking of cleansing your ear holes with salty goodness. Yes, speaking of cleansing your orify. <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Hello! Sam, hi. Discuss history stories on a theme. Each week we decide the theme a couple of weeks in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise. And what is the topic this week, Tom? Oh, Tom, my well, the Tom. The topic is Canada. But sh- before we go any further, should I do audience feedback? I'm just raring oh, to go, please Sam. please do. I know you've not done any in a few weeks. What go have on. we had? Uh, Christian, I spent an hour in Bendigo a few years ago on a road trip through Victoria. This was a, a little reference, passing reference at the end of my piece about Victorian pugilists. Uh, carrying on with this quote. Uh, they were hosting... Bendigo was the pugilist, the great Bendigo. And there's an oddly a town named after him. In, uh, in Australia. That's exactly right. Uh, they were hosting a Marilyn Monroe festival, of all things, highlighted not by a full-size figurefer as a, as a wheelchair, but an eight-metre-tall sculpture of her in the iconic seven-year itch pose. There you go. Lovely. Not, as her, not in her as a wheelchair. I didn't quite what? understand that not either. As, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. But then I don't get a lot of jokes. Um, Marnie, someone... Marilyn Monroe-lin. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Worth repeating, Marilyn Monroe-lin. Marilyn Monroe-lin. 
the wheelchair. Got you. Not worth repeating. <laughs> <laughs> Marnie said, uh, someone help me. You guys are in my head and it's too distracting. I've been reading An Atlas of Extinct Countries by Gideon Defoe and the narrator inside my head has Sam's voice with occasional interjections of laughter from Tom. Am I too far gone? Yeah. Uh, yes. Buy a train set, Marnie. <laughs> you don't need to train your calves. Skip the calf <laughs> raises. Buy a train set. <laughs> Have you tried Ponce whiskey? It's horrible, but you'll pretend you like it because you think it makes you look sophisticated. <laughs> Try keeping it in a globe. Yes. That'll make you look really cool. <laughs> Have you thought about getting terrible hemorrhoids? <laughs> it's a wonderful whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a niche cider. <laughs> it's an an American IPA. Also known as the water douche. <laughs> and it brings it all together. There we go. Ah. Uh. Beautiful. Um, well, uh, Good yes, Obi-Wan audience. Kenobi impressions there as well for the audience, just in case you <laughs> yes. thought we were two-dimensional. <laughs> yeah. We've got a variety of accents we can do. Yes. Um, incidentally, if, you, uh, if you're not a patron, last week the patrons got to experience for the first time, raw and unedited, mm. Tom's, <laughs> Tom's Nelson Mandela, legendary oh. Nelson mm. Mandela impression that has never made the cut. Well, it was like he was here with us, wasn't it? I've re- I listened to the recording. <laughs> and I was just... Uh, it brought a tear to my eye, Sam, actually. It was it was like when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize. It was like it being brought, there. It brought many tears to my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so I realised there was no way to edit myself out of this. <laughs> Finally, I've done it. <laughs> After ten attempts, <laughs> yes. I've made the well... <laughs> cuts. Now, Hugh Laurie next. <laughs> oh, God. oh, bothering, bothering, bothering. <laughs> Bother, 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 Blackadder. Uh, well, yes, thank you, Marnie. It's uh, it's wonderful to think that I'm in people's heads. <laughs> what a what a great responsibility for me to hold. It's just like being in being John Malkovich. Mm. Incidentally, audience, if you'd like me to haunt your subconscious uh, or indeed voice your inner monologue, I am available for voiceover work. <laughs> I'm available for any sort of work. Any, I need any money. sort of work, yes. <laughs> yeah, voiceover and or fence painting. <laughs> I'll turn my hand to anything. Driveways as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what a last... Oh, we've got Brennan as well. He says, Greetings from the heartland. He's American. I hadn't been listening to podcasts for the eight months or so, and I started listening back up a few weeks ago. I forgot how hilarious you guys are. Last week, I nearly drove off the road. I was laughing so hard. Please keep making the podcast as long as you can. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, making it as long as we could, it would be about a two-hour episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There'd be a lot of guff. Uh <laughs> I know that's not what you we, meant. We have a track record of almost causing accidents, haven't we? We do. We've nearly driven people off the road on several occasions before. Yes, there yeah, was the... Not always um, through laughter. Sometimes just no. through losing the will to live. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I seem to remember that we drove. We nearly drove someone and his disabled father off the road talking about RAF pilots jizzing over, that, oh, over long-distance oh, drivers in Iraq. I think mixing up two occasions where we almost drove someone off the road. Wasn't it the Mexican... Oh, yes, it was the Mexican uh, Mexican general, Santa Ana, losing both of his legs. Yeah, and then... Hilarious, yeah. inherently. <laughs> <laughs> Funnier than it sounds, I promise you. It was, it was, yeah, it was good. Um, and what else have I got for you? Um, John, welcome to the Order of the Bathroom. Hello, I guess you listen to hello, our hello. public episodes as well. 
And finally, a shout out to Bill in Baton Rouge, which I understand is in LA. I had to check that. He loves the podcast. No, no, no. Bat- Baton-, Baton Rouge is in Louisiana. That's what LA stands for in state codes. LA is in California. Oh, really? But LA, LA stands for Louisiana. Is Louisiana. Yeah. Oh, you are a clever little thing, aren't you? Um, I actually thought what Baton Rouge sounds a little bit like French rhubarb and custard, doesn't it? Or just yes. a French word for rhubarb. It means red stick, yeah. yeah. Pour moi. Or erection. Ah, le Baton Rouge <laughs> avec la crème anglaise, s'il vous plaît. Merci. Ah, mais oui. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's all the audience feedback for you, Sam. We've also had our first patron pay us in knock, whatever that is. Yeah, that was John. That's I. Re- that's... That was that John. I assumed that was North Korean money. No, I, I suspect it's not. <laughs> no, I'm fairly sure it's Norwegian kroner. That's where I went with I, it. Yes, it is in fact Norwegian kroner. Yeah, yeah. Would be nice if we had some North Korean listeners. Not for the North Korean listeners. I suspect it would turn, they would go sour very quickly. <laughs> yeah. A little bit like all their food. <laughs> yes. Wow. And their life in general. Um, but if you do know anyone who lives in North Korea, um, by all means, let them know about us. I sent a burner mobile over on a small balloon. <laughs> a ferret. A ferret yeah. with a telegram. Off you go. <laughs> Across the border. Lovely. Or maybe an um, ex-NBA basketball player. Your choice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, I think it's my turn to go first, isn't it, Tom? Quite possibly. You're it definitely is my turn to go things. first. I don't. Uh, well, speaking of tall people... So we did there. Dennis Rodman yeah. today, yes. I've got a tall person today for my Canadian story. A very tall person. A very, just a very big person, Tom. Big personality, big in stature. It's probably the strangest person I've managed to come across yet. <laughs> and you come and across, I've come a across lot of some people. weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been to some strange clubs. I've been <laughs> to some very niche parties. <laughs> Um, so today I am talking about a Canadian legend, Tom. And I call him a legend because, well, because half the stuff that's written about him isn't true. <laughs> so legend in every sense of the word. But he is an amazing character, even going by just what we can definitively prove, what there's evidence for. And the mad urban legends about him are just the icing on the cake. Today I'm going to be talking about the great Antonio, a Canadian-Croatian wrestler, strongman, and very, very eccentric... <laughs> who made and blew millions of dollars in his long and incredibly interesting life. So the great Antonio was born Antonio Baricevich. 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 Uh, with all foreign names, Barry. Antonio Barry. I'm going to say it several times, and the one that sounds the most convincing makes the cut. Uh, so the great Antonio was born Antonio Baricevich in Zagreb in Croatia in 1925, uh, though he himself claimed to be an Italian. He came from a poor family and, according to his own stories, was sent to work in the mines at six years old, but very quickly grew too large for the tunnels and moved to agriculture, moved into agriculture, <laughs> where by the age of 12... His arms are too big for the cow's asses. <laughs> yes. At which point he was moved into plumbing. <laughs> Major civil engineering projects. <laughs> by 16, his arms were too big for the sewers. <laughs> So he went into space station. <laughs> yes, okay. into deep sea drilling. <laughs> uh, so by the age of six, he was too big for the tunnels and was moved into uh, into a career in agriculture. Where and I don't know why they tested this Tom, but apparently by the age of twelve, he could pull small trees down with a yoke around his neck. Right, sloppy. <laughs> 
Sloppy? <laughs> oh, yolk. I thought you said yolk. Oh, not egg no, yolk. No, no. Yolk got you. no. Like a horse uh, yolk. Nor- yes, oh. like a horse yolk, not an egg yolk. Mm. <laughs> Just throwing eggs at him whilst he pulls down trees. <laughs> Come on, yeah, I bastard. can't believe you can do it. I can't believe you manage it with all that sloppy poultry produce over you. Yes. The trick is to leave it there for a while so it goes sticky. <laughs> Then it just adds rigidity to your natural frame. <laughs> so where I'm going with that. Uh, <laughs> I haven't done an episode in a week. I'm out of practice. <laughs> My internal filter has turned right off. <laughs> so by the time World War II came, Antonio was theoretically old enough to fight, but there's no record of him having taken part in the war. Uh, he suffered learning difficulties and was largely illiterate. Best and part spent of the story. <laughs> and spent most of the war in a refugee camp near Naples. Uh, this is Naples, Italy, obviously. Uh, before immigrating to Nova Scotia and settling into Montreal, Canada in 1945. Supposedly, he was married at some point in Europe, but there's no record of that, and he arrived in Canada alone. Incidentally, part of the reason he may have had learning difficulties was that, according to him, his training regime, in his own words, involved him running 60-metre sprints into trees headfirst to build resilience. It would work, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. These bloody millennials with their sourdough toast and avocados. In my day, we'd run headlong into a tree. We'll be grateful for it. Which I suppose, well, it was, it was practice for him knocking down trees with his bare hands, was literally to run into them headfirst and see what happened. Mm. You're an amazing rugby player. So it's, it's possible no, he had wouldn't. some kind of... Sin- <laughs> Because he'd be constantly tackling people with his head. He was spending yeah, well, most of the time off the pitch. Well, <laughs> okay, fine. Um, so, so it's possibly had some kind of syndrome. He was he was a very large man with quite severe learning <laughs> difficulties. And a penchant for headbutting trees. <laughs> and a penchant for headbutting trees, yes. Um, <laughs> Barking mad. Hey! <laughs> hey. Well, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> did anyone ever get to the root of the problem? Hey! Or did nobody twig it? <laughs> Marvellous. I've got more if you want. Go, go on then. Uh, did he ever branch out into headbutt and other things? Did he ever seriously hurt his crown? <laughs> Shall we leave it alone now, Sam? No. <laughs> okay. Hey, oh you! <laughs> oh dear. Um, so, so unskilled and not especially street smart, or indeed smart, uh, but absolutely huge. Antonio quickly fell in with the wrong crowd. Uh, by which time I mean carnies, of course, circus folk, nomads. You know, smell like cabbage, small hands, and became a circus sideshow. <laughs> Uh, so why was he so popular as a sideshow Tom I don't well, know you're the one who's doing it hey the classic line <laughs> he was <laughs> he was fucking massive Tom he was 6 foot 4 so I mean reasonably tall but he weighed 465 pounds that's 225 kilograms wow that is big that is big. He had size 28 shoes, so uh, in, a, in actual measurements, his feet were well over a foot long. Just just to give us some scale here, yesterday yes. uh, a Scottish bloke won the world's strongest man. He's 6 foot 8 and 180 kilos. Yeah. He's 40 kilos lighter and he's the world's strongest man. Yes. Wow, yeah. this Antonio's big. He's a big lad. Yeah, uh, so his feet were a foot long and he had a 90-inch... <laughs> 
His toes <laughs> were a toe long, and his arm yes. was an arm long. Yes. Do you know what? Yes, there's a certain irony in that, isn't there? <laughs> you wouldn't believe how big his he nose was. He was exactly one Antonio high. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't picked up on that when I was writing my notes down, but well pointed out. He had a 90-inch chest, Tom, 2.3 metres circumference. Crikey. He was a big fucker. Are there pictures of this man? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pictures, videos, everything. Um, his, before you look at it, Tom, and I think you'll like this, so do pay attention before you Google, because I can hear you tapping away in the background. Here's a newspaper quote from one of Antonio's landladies in the 1950s. Antonio was a nice boy, but so big. Every time he sits on the toilet, bang, toilet breaks. <laughs> My son, sorry, I need to do this in an Eastern European accent, but you don't say. My son, he fixes and fixes, but always the same. Boom, toilet breaks again. <laughs> <laughs> to misquote Borat, this is my tenant. He is pain in my assholes. <laughs> install two baths. Uh, <laughs> two baths? Why? Have one of them as a toilet for him. Oh, I see. Right. This <laughs> is one for each buttock. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> What's his surname? As, as shoes. <laughs> Antonio. If you search, just search for the great Antonio. The gr- An- Antonio the Great. The great Antonio. Antonio. So he he had an appetite to match his huge size, Tom. According to friends, and I've no idea how true this is, this is possibly urban legend, he had ten sausages for breakfast every morning, or ten <laughs> hot dogs in, in rolls, sausages in rolls, two or three whole chickens for lunch, and three large steaks for dinner. I am not surprised the toilet broke. <laughs> <laughs> when it finally came remember? out. <laughs> Imagine the amount of straining to try and unblock that. <laughs> I know. Even like a Napoleonic Crikey. siege when it came out. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Bring in the thirty-six about, inch waters. Talk about yes. <laughs> talk about the fatbergs. <laughs> Jesus. He wasn't just the size of an ox. He had the strength of one too, and quickly became famous for his stunts. In 1952, he got his first world record for pulling a 433 ton train around 20 meters. As practice for his strongman antics, Tom, he made a habit of yoking himself, Y-O-K-I-N-G, uh, up to city buses and pulling them along, much to the delight of the passengers, Tom, and the fury of the bus drivers. <laughs> because a lot of the time, this wasn't planned and he didn't ask permission. He would just walk into traffic with a rope, <laughs> hitch up the bus and go. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Here's a quote from a guy called Sid Stevens who phoned Montreal radio station CJAD, uh, not to be confused with CJD, where the banter's mad after his death. Quote, I remember he pulled a bus on uh, Saint Laurent -Laurent Boulevard, the 55, and it was full of passengers. The bus driver was pleading with him not to because he was kind of late. (laughs) But Antonio didn't care. He just grabbed the bus with a rope and pulled it. And when the police officers came, they just stood there and watched him and didn't try to interfere. Because imagine trying to get this type of individual into a police car. <laughs> we got a bus, use the bus for fuck's sake. Yeah. Come on, okay. use your initiative. He's like the burglar bill of strongmen. That's a nice bus, I'll pull that. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1960, he decided to turn an annoying hobby of uh, disrupting traffic into a world record and hitched four fully loaded city buses together pulling them all single-handedly down Montreal's uh, Saint Laurent Boulevard and St. Catherine Street. As a hobby, just as a hobby, on the side, he would plait his hair, tie a rope into it, and use that to pull cars along the street. Oh, yeah, that's weird. And there's, vi- there's videos of this online, pulling cars along with his hair. 
as well as being a famed strongman and uh, several times Guinness World Record holder, he was a famed wrestler both That's in North really America and just. I mean, that whole attaching things by the hair. I mean, it requires strength. That's not unusual, really. It, it requires strength to pull, but actually, the strength in the roots of the hair. You know, that's just anyone could do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good for show. Can you remember that guy when we were younger who often turned up on? Um, uh, record breakers, the TV program <laughs> outside the primary school, dangling things, heavy things from his <laughs> testicles. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, it was a guy that used to balance, used to carry. Pendulous Bill, we called it. <laughs> <laughs> swinging, swinging knackers, Randy. Um, and he used to carry things on his head. He used to carry really heavy things on his head. And this guy, do your testicles waggle? Do they hang on the gravel? <laughs> <laughs> Can you lift up a gavel? Can you lift up an anvil? <laughs> Have you got the strongest bollocks in a 50-mile radius? What song, what song is that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> when you turn around too quickly, do they all slap against us? <laughs> what do you do when your balls dangle low in an English country <laughs> garden? <laughs> do you use them as a trowel? Do you use them as a hoe in an English country garden? <laughs> Rake them on the gravel, rake them on the weeds. <laughs> Use them to spread some bird seeds. <laughs> you do if your testicles hang low in an English country garden. <laughs> I don't know why we went there. I, I think I was trying to think I don't of... Neither do I. I was trying to think of a song we used to sing in the playground. Did you ever sing that in the playground? Um, no, the only one I remember from the playground was Do your balls hang low? Do they wobble to and fro? Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a Also, bow? it's genuinely a song you used to sing in the playground. <laughs> we did used to sing that, yeah, when people's voices dropped. Oh, God. Used, you know, when we made fun of... Back at that golden age where you could make fun of people hitting puberty. <laughs> your, your high-pitched voice. In your mouth. Sorry, sorry, excuse me, let me just get into Alan Jones mode. I'm walking in the... Do your balls hang low? Do they wobble to and fro? Do they tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? You're like Duke. You <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> As the windows shatter. <laughs> so the great Antonio was also a famed wrestler both in North America and Japan. And for this section, Tom, I'm going to have to introduce some wrestling terms that I've learned this week. So prepare to learn. Okay. Uh, I know literally nothing about wrestling, so apologies, audience, if you do. In 1971, he almost won Canada's top wrestling trophy, the Stampede North American Heavyweight Championship, uh, which is hosted in Calgary. And his persona for the wrestling match was what's known as a heel, which is a villain. And his appearance was kind of like a hermit-like Rasputin character with a huge matted beard and wild hair. And the crowd, because people are idiots and couldn't tell that it was acting, hated the idea of this fictional character winning and nearly rioted and Antonio had to forfeit the match and be hustled out of the building to safety by security. It's not real! It's not real! It's real to me, man! It's real to me! Well, it got real, as we'll find out in a minute. So after this happened, he moved to Japan, where he once allowed the residents of Tokyo to, uh, as a stunt, as a promotional stunt, pull him through the city by his hair. A little bit, Tom, like a real-life Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. <laughs> and Lilliput. Yes, with the little people. The little people of Asia. Because apparently yes. a Nelson Mandela impression is racist. <laughs> I know. But calling Asians little and hard-working isn't. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Mind you, though, Tom, after Godzilla, you can't be too careful. <laughs> Tie him down. <laughs> 
he became infamous. I, I, I alluded a moment ago, a moment ago, to uh, to wrestling being all too real. And he became infamous in Japanese wrestling for a 1977 match against local hero, politician, and 12 times Japanese champion, Antonio Inoki, another Antonio, in which our Antonio began what's called no-selling his opponent's moves, basically refusing to react or pretending to be in pain or fall over, so just ignoring. Yeah, I know. He then began what's known as stiffing, or deliberately beating down hard on Inoki to cause him genuine pain and injury, at which point the fight descended into an all-out brawl, a very real brawl, which ended with Inoki repeatedly stomping on Antonio's head, hospitalising him. Neither competitor ever gave an explanation for what happened. But I am watching this. Yeah, well, it's all online. Yeah. It's it's absolutely brutal. He literally, he he, he stomps him into a pulp. Despite his wrestling career and, uh, you know, violent day job and huge stature, the great Antonio was known as an incredibly gentle giant of a man who helped old ladies cross the street and had actually <laughs> had throwing them. a beat. <laughs> yes, sorry, yes. Them to his Through, beard, tossed, dragging tossed them. old ladies across the street. <laughs> well, uh, this is... This is one of the bits of urban legend about him is that he could genuinely juggle people. He could he could juggle three people at once. He was that strong. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> Apart from anything else, that <laughs> that relies on people being able to sit bolt still whilst <laughs> you're being thrown around. Um, anyway, so he was uh, yes, he was known for being incredibly gentle, tossing ladies <laughs> gently across the street. <laughs> okay, and <laughs> okay, steady. <laughs> Can we do it somewhere more less public, please? <laughs> yes. Somehow they were somehow drawn to his giant workmanlike hands. All three of them that he was uh, juggling. <laughs> yes. And he had a, apparently had a beautiful, soft, quite high pitched singing voice, a bit like um, a kind of a, I imagine kind of an Israel Kamakwala type thing. I think thing. Of Jimmy Somerville. <laughs> Jimmy Somerville. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he nearly toured as a musician, but uh, but it never quite happened. He was an absolute star, appearing in several films and on all of the big North American chat shows of the era, such as uh, Ed Sullivan and Johnny Carson. He even got letters from President Bill Clinton in the nineties. He was a huge star. He what had did access- the letters say? I did not have sexual relations with that six foot four, two hundred and forty-five pound hunk of hunk of burning love. <laughs> However, that's what I was looking for, and you gave it. Hillary, that's what I. Was, if you weren't going to do, it, I was going to. Was, Hillary's in town, and I could do with distracting her for a few hours. <laughs> So he had access to a private jet, which was sent to him via Boeing in return for a stunt in which he pulled a fully loaded plane down a runway. But Tom, like many people suddenly thrown into the limelight and having piles of cash chucked at him, he didn't exactly spend it wisely. Agents and middlemen took a large chunk, and he wasn't smart enough. He wasn't smart. To quite, well, he wasn't <laughs> smart. No, he was, he was illiterate and largely innumerate. He really was kind of thrown at the deep end here. He wasn't smart enough to manage the rest. Um, he bought a custom-made Lincoln car every two years. Uh, to be fair, he needed it at the time due to his size and the propensity of 70s American cars to only last two years or so before catching fire. <laughs> he also made such wise investments with his cash as having the world's largest rocking chair made for him. <laughs> nice. Four metre high rocking chair. It needed its own stepladder to get up it, uh, which lived on the lawn outside his house. Many well spent time, I think you'll agree. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to buy a giant fucking chair. What is the thing in all of the world that I've always wanted? <laughs> yes. Will I buy Bitcoin? Will I buy gold? And here's what he said to me. Buy a giant chair. <laughs> giant rocking chair. <laughs> chair. 
It's Price Will Skyrocket too. <laughs> Just you wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, sorry, I forgot to start that song. When I was just a fucking giant, I asked the rocking chair salesman, what will I be? <laughs> he said, a fool, someone so stupid, you'll pay me for something crap. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a giant chair, a fucking ridiculous chair. <laughs> what kind of fucker would buy this chair? <laughs> oh, yes, you, yes, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so unfortunately Tom big new cars and big new chairs come at a cost and so as time went on Antonio lost everything eventually being reduced to touring the Montreal subway system selling souvenir guides of his own life his own ass alright Hagrid Hagrid went the same way I'm a flasher Harry <laughs> oh is that you Harry oh I, I, hate, I hate to think you've seen me like this being pegged by one of the trolls <laughs> I was going to go with as he rocks up at the pub at Hermione's hen too <laughs> dressed as a policeman <laughs> you can- <laughs> you can leave your princess on. Da, 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 da. Uh, right, who wants to see my truncheon? <laughs> to see my broomstick. <laughs> and a couple of snitches. Just wiggling and wiggling the cloak of invisibility around his balls, temptingly, for the big reveal. We have heard of the goblet of fire. Watch the ring of fire appear. Watch, watch the cocklet of fire. Not even clever, but I'm laughing anyway. No. Oh dear. Now, who wants butterbeer? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so, uh, so, anyway, yeah, Antonio was reduced to touring the Montreal subway <laughs> system selling suits. What the hell is he doing on the, on the, witch, on the witch's hen do with the stripper? They'd all be casting unpleasant spells. Lupio! Erectio! No, Erectus! Erectus Maximus! Incontino! <laughs> <laughs> giant, giant, comedy bris- <laughs> giant comedy bristicular Horus Attachio <laughs> oh, <dear me. laughs> I, can row- I can just imagine a rowdy a rowdy witch's Hindu. <laughs> there's an episode title <laughs> rowdy witch's the rowdy witch's Hindu. nice <laughs> Oh dear. Rowdy witches hen <laughs> Written in my funny Book notes of funny, for funny things. Like <laughs> a funny things. <laughs> so, so yeah, he ended up touring the subway system, selling souvenir guides of his own life and pencils with his face on. He also got progressively more eccentric as time went on, Tom. You may well ask, uh, where do you where do you go next from owning the world's largest <laughs> rocking chair? <laughs> well, first off he began claiming he was an alien. Right. 
<laughs> on the basis he'd been rejected as a blood donor, claiming doctors had told him, quote, his blood was too powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, having tiger blood worked for Charlie Sheen, and doubly to be fair, it genuinely does work for most professional cyclists. <laughs> EPO. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, tour starts on Saturday. You does it start on Saturday? Blow me it's down. moved earlier this year, yeah. Tour de France. Favourite born event of the year. That's the only one I watched. Made me very excited there. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Give a, I, I live to give. Um... He also, in his later life, indulged his twin loves of using his hair for shit and playing golf by matting his now extremely long hair into a set of golf clubs, uh, bound together with duct tape, and genuinely playing golf with his own hair. Right. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, as time went on, Still his Still trying to work out the logistics at- of that. So, it, um, so he had, he had sw- hair that went, basically went down to his and knees. And he was swinging his head. Uh, yeah, yeah, he would. He had a bit of loose hair at the top, which kind of added some, you know, uh, some swingability, and uh, and then he had his hair done into two or three different golf clubs, uh, tied together with gaffer tape with like a rod down them, I think, just to add some stiffness, and uh, and he would just twat balls with this it. This is what happens, kids, if uh, you spend your childhood running headlong into trees. <laughs> yes, don't run headlong into trees, kids. <laughs> Uh, so eventually as time wore on his appetite and, and his size diminished but he was still a large and life character in and around Montreal uh, old Antonio Golf Noggin <laughs> and he was always known as a friendly face in the city he eventually died of a heart attack in 2003 aged 77 is, bearing in so, mind he was a professional wrestler in North America that's twice the life expectancy 225 <laughs> kilograms <laughs> yeah and as a hobby ran into trees Reaching 77 is a pretty good age. Done very well. <laughs> yeah, considering the life he'd led, his size and his diet. <laughs> Fucking amazing, frankly. Um, so there you go, Tom. The great Antonio. Strongman, wrestler, TV star, giant chair aficionado, and all-around good egg Canadian eccentric. And he's now featured in Montreal and everything from park benches to kids' books. Very nice. So there you go. A lovely man. Very big man, but a very lovely man. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to watching some of his wrestling matches now. Yeah, so there's lots of there's a lot of video of him online. Particularly the Antonios. Yes. I'm definitely watching the two Antonios fighting. Oh, I can see his big rocking chair as well. There it is. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> um, anyway, I suppose it's over to me now, isn't it? Um, well, I'm glad you've gone completely bonkers. Um, because I've gone against the grain this week and I haven't oh. discovered a stupid historical source with obvious opportunities for toilet humour. Um, I, I, I heard. I, I've heard rumour that you're doing something quite serious. Yes, I'm talking about an event that is most definitely historically interesting, although not inherently funny. In fact, it is most definitely a disaster, but I'm sure we'll still have some fun. <laughs> well, we know what about those on That Was Genius. <laughs> Our episode, our episode on statues was <laughs> particularly bad. Mm. It was a two-hour recording, an hour of which was Sam trying to pronounce the names correctly. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off, and you correcting me. <laughs> you could have just let me die. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've always had a few Canadian listeners, so um, I do apologise if you know all about this one. You probably do. Um, Sam certainly does. Uh, but he's going to pretend he doesn't. Yes, prepare to amaze me, Tom, <laughs> with facts, what I don't know. What I don't know much about. Let me take you to Halifax, Nova Scotia, on December the 6th, oh, please 1917. Don't. It's rubbish. <laughs> First thing in the morning, a Norwegian steamship called the IMO casually headed out of Halifax Harbour. The IMO 
Hey, I'm the IMO. I'm just slipping away. <laughs> I'm casual. Hey. I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> of my funnel. It's a bit cold up here, but hey. One funnel, one funnel up each jean leg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe. A pair of loafers balanced <laughs> on top of the chimneys. Um, the IMO is carrying supplies for the Belgian Relief Commission, presumably herring-flavoured chocolates for special occasions. Tuh. Yes, just an entire ship full of waffles. Don't be joking. <laughs> this yeah. was essential food. When the Germans occupied Belgium in 1914... Yeah, waffles. Waffles. Waffles, <laughs> waffles are an essential food. Waffles, waffles, waffles. So are pot noodles. <laughs> waffles, pot noodles. <laughs> and cheap beer. That's all you need. That's breakfast, lunch and dinner. When the Germans <laughs> occupied Belgium in 1914, the Belgians really struggled to feed themselves. The country was heavily urbanised and the small amount of food they did produce was requisitioned by those jerrys to feed their soldiers. Ooh. So the Belgian Relief Commission. <laughs> I didn't realise he was a Geordie. <laughs> I'll take your eat down. But who am I? Oh, I might be undercover sting. <laughs> In a joke that's only going to make sense for, for patrons. <laughs> and if you want to understand that joke, then you can for just the price of a coffee. <laughs> You can find out. Just meet Undercover Sting at www.patreon.com slash thatwasgenius. <laughs> nice. Um, it was an American entity, this Belgian Relief Commission, run by Herbert Hoover, the future president of the United States, who's now famous for the giant vacuum cleaner built during the Great Depression that sits on the Colorado River. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mr. President, sir, this uh, giant vacuum cleaner doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of holding back the water. It isn't working, damn it! That's, that's a much better suggestion. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now what should we do with the vacuum cleaner? <laughs> this vacuum cleaner sucks, frankly, sir. <laughs> nice. Well, it's a great success. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we planned. <laughs> that's two good word plays. What's going on this episode? <laughs> I mean, they were frankly average, but the bar's so fucking low. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, well, there we go. Sunk low and one of the hosts has died. <coughs> Hello, audience. Uh, it could be a couple of weeks until we find a replacement. <laughs> Shouldn't be that hard. If it you like to audition. Funny, anyway, all good at history. <laughs> Nor seem particularly reliable. <laughs> Cartoons were a bit shit as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you've got a dubious, dubious attitude to religious and ethnic minorities, <laughs> a general dislike of the human population. <laughs> okay, that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Please write to that was geniuscast at gmail.com. Oh, yes, and if you don't mind working with communists. <laughs> the Belgian Relief Commission experienced problems. Just weren't enough Belgians to relieve. <laughs> We've wanked off of Poirot twice. Tintin started queuing again. What do we do now? Sorry, I don't know. Namely, ensuring that the food they delivered to Belgium was used to feed Belgian and not the Jerry's. It was for this reason that the British were very unhappy with the commission. Anyway, the commission was successful on account of ensuring that the supplies were handled by members of the commission and not Belgians, because the Americans were not under German rule. I read somewhere that the food was thus considered American property right until it reached a Belgian plate. Yoink, this is mine now. You will not be eating eggs on the <laughs> toast tonight, but I will. I am Hans, <laughs> your fat German au pair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, look at this feast which has arrived on your plate of orange cheese. 
shit chocolate and ein tasteless beer <laughs> what und gift well i am rather fat and i will have to eat it anyway um, anyway back to the imo as it was casually puffing out of port it spotted ss mont blanc a french cargo ship It's worth pointing out here that Halifax was a very important coastal town during the First World War because of its location on the east coast of North America. It was a great departure point for anything needing to get from North America to Britain and France. In fact, it's North America's nearest large port to Europe. Because of this strategic importance, it had fortified gun emplacements all around the dock and anti-submarine nets that were open to allow traffic through. See, I'm being educational this week. You are. I'm learning. Um, I will also give a brief description of Halifax because some of us are very familiar with with its streets. It sits on the south side of the Narrows, which leads to the Bedford Basin. On the other side of the Narrows is Dartmouth, for anyone who knows. And they're connected now by the the Angus MacDonald Bridge. This is fucking... This is great if it's Canadian geography, yeah. fucking terrible if it's British um, geography. <laughs> and there's the Murray Mackay Bridge, um, uh, Dartmouth... Co- Just down the M4, past <laughs> Oxford, and then... Dartmouth Commons. Bracknell Forest, very nice. Ruining my joke. Dart- <laughs> Sorry, <Dartmouth> Gog. <laughs> it wasn't even a very good joke in the first place, and you've ruined it. <laughs> Dartmouth Sorry. Commons are very nice, by the way, as are the Halifax Commons with the Sistel. If you fancy by tweet, I recommend Baton Rouge Steakhouse and the bar, or maybe McKelvey's, both down on the waterfront. Anyway, I'm getting carried away. Uh, the joke there was going to be me knowing shitloads about Halifax because I'd gone on Google, not because I'd actually good. been there. See, it, okay, good it, joke. It, it, I think it, it. I think it would have been very, very good had it not been interrupted. Uh, I think yes, it would have been hilarious. That, that was definitely its key flaw. I'm getting carried away. SS Montblanc was carrying something far more exciting than Ferrero Fishy. It contained 2,925 metric tonnes of explosives and was destined for France. Oh, crikey. Yeah, it's a lot of explosives. So as I was saying, Imo was heading out to sea. You'd need a bit more to take out the whole of France, but it's a good start. <laughs> it was heading out to sea, but it was doing one thing terribly incorrectly. It was travelling on the east side of the Narrows, not the west side, as was customary. There was no excuse for this. The captain of the ship was familiar with the rules. It was also later claimed by the captain of the SS Mont Blanc that the IMO was travelling far too fast as well. Irresponsibly fast. Um, The SS Mont Blanc, meanwhile... How fast is irresponsibly fast? Given it's 1917, we're talking about four knots. 76 knots. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, Okay. 76 knots. Like a powerboat, like a speedboat. Well, the knots were tied very close together. Uh, well, yeah. that'll do it. The SS Mont Blanc had spent the night outside the port waiting for the morning when anti-submarine nets would be opened. Despite its rather explosive cargo, other ships were not told to stay put until it had negotiated its way into port, which you'd think would be sensible. The two ships attempted to manoeuvre out of each other's way, but largely failed, or largely failed, failed largely, due, they definitely <laughs> <Yes>. failed. <laughs> they definitely failed, <laughs> that's what we'll find out. <laughs> but failed largely due to a series of fucked up communications. Imo struck SS Montblanc at around 8.45am and within minutes was drifting away, but not before sparks from the collision had lit dried picric acid. The, mm, the picric acid. The picric acid was nasty stuff. You use it on picric paper. <laughs> And um, I don't know. That's a strange yes, Charles pick, Dickens joke. The Pickwick Papers. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know where that came yeah. from. It wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Charles Dickens on acid. <laughs> now there's there's a book I'd read. <laughs> Oliver Twist was fucking loving it. <laughs> the Pickwick acid was nasty stuff, and soon set light to barrels of gasoline on the deck. 
What is picric acid? I don't know, but I know it's it's very flammable, and it was used um, in warfare. That's as about as much as I researched. Picric acid. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just an explo- It's just explosive. Mm-hmm. It's an explosive mm-hmm. and antiseptic, so it'll blow off your hand mm-hmm. and then stop it from getting affected. Yeah, but That's it's nice. easy to put back on again. So it's the it's the ethical explosive. It is. It really is. Yeah. Now that's People's how I, that's how I would advertise it. Yeah. <laughs> do you want warfare? <laughs> the cooperative explosive. <laughs> <laughs> but do you not want all those nasty side effects? <laughs> do you want to show your neighbours who's boss, but you don't want to kill them? Well, boy, have I got the thing for you. Picric acid. It's explosivating, debilitating, rehabilitating, <laughs> antiseptigating. <laughs> da, 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 da. Hey! hey. <laughs> Blow them up and sew them together again. Blow them up and sew them together again. Blow them up and sew them together again. Picric acid by Roberts. <laughs> also cures common colds, mumps and rubella. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> by now there was a flume of smoke drifting high into the sky and onlookers were wondering... Uh, were wondering, were wondering what was going on, and wandering down to the port to Rubberneck. Others were just standing at their windows watching. Oh dear, bad idea. Mm-mm. But what happens when explosives meet Belgian chocolate, Sam? Well, oh. it's a little bit like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory meets George's Marvelous Medicine. <laughs> the crew of the SS Mont Blanc were the only people who seemed to be aware of what was about to happen because they were rowing for their lives towards Dartmouth. It's because it Hershey's meets Hiroshima. <laughs> Hershey's Ramina. <laughs> no. Um, no <laughs> I tried to merge them together, but it did not work. Um, Snickers Nakazaki. No. The crew of the SS Mont Blanc were the only people who seemed to be aware of what was about to happen. Anyway, at 9.04, the ship blew up. At the, at the time, it was the biggest man-made explosion in history, bigger than when Goliath ate all those out-of-date prunes. In fact... Oh, fucking hell. Was, oh, Goliath, mate. I came here for a you know, bit of fisticuffs. And look what <laughs> you've done. I'm not sure I want to fight you anymore. <laughs> I'm putting my slingshots I've just got away. shitty cuff. I've just got shitty cuffs now. <laughs> and I, I wore my nicest shirt for the occasion. And I've just got <laughs> shitty cuffs. <laughs> I cannot express my disappointment enough. I come here with for fisty cuffs, I leave with <laughs> shitty cuffs. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed and covered in shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait a minute. Do I hear that you have shitty cuffs? Well, have I got the thing for you? <laughs> Picric acid. How are you going to tie that together? <laughs> I hope you've got a plan because I'm not rescuing you from this joke. <laughs> Wherever it's going. It can clean your shirts in no time at all. And guess what? You can throw it at that Goliath and he'll blow right up. But you can sew him back together again. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Did I tie Yeah. Maybe, maybe tied that back together again? Saved. <clears throat> In fact, it's quite possibly still the biggest non-nuclear explosion ever experienced. Well, man-made, anyway. It was three to four times larger than the one in Beirut in 2020 that was all over the news. Many of our listeners will remember the footage of that one. And I read somewhere, although I'm questioning it, only seven times less explosive than the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. So, oh. pretty goddamn so big. Pretty, pretty, pretty goddamn big. That's, pretty, that's a big explosion, that there's a big explosion. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some big explosions in my time. 
15 <laughs> Vegas burgers. Huh? We'll do that to you, baby. Oh, we going over, shall we? Oh, a little less conversation, a little more action, baby. <laughs> All this meat no fibers got me constipated, baby. <laughs> well, since my baby left me, I've not been in that <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I got straight back to the meat and rice, baby. And now I regret to you. <laughs> my balls are so clogged up, baby. My balls are so clogged up. <laughs> I can't go. No fruit and fiber, baby. <laughs> I'm on a fiber-free diet, don't you know? <laughs> and if there's one thing that I just need, it's a little bit of prunes <laughs> to, <laughs> to ease the pain of my back, of my constipation, of my backside. Constipation <laughs> brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> <laughs> Wise men <laughs> say, "Have your five <laughs> but I can't, can't help poo. <laughs> just eating meat all day." <laughs> well, I've had fifteen steaks since the last time I did a poo. <laughs> <laughs> Are we done? (laughs) I think we're done. (laughs) I knew we'd get something fun out of a massive catastrophe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 2.5 square kilometres were levelled and fires broke out all across the city due to the fact that it was winter. Fires were on and buildings had collapsed into them. Anyone standing at a window had the window shatter in their face as the shockwave rushed out from its epicentre. Hundreds were blinded, thousands had severe injuries, and many were reportedly decapitated by the glass breaking. Although I'm not going to delve into gory historical rubbernecking here. Christ. In fact... Uh, But just just for the audience's benefit, we are back now to the Halifax explosion and not Elvis's bowel (laughs) habits. It is actually. This is <laughs> something build, to be. I shouldn't have to specify, but I feel I need to. <laughs> I feel like I could save some save some um, listeners' lives here. In the event of a uh, terrorist attack or reports of a terrorist attack, do not stand by windows. No, well, there's a very big thing in uh, the big Beirut explosion not so long ago, where was the it? grain warehouse that was filled with um, grain. Uh, I can't. No, it was filled with fertilizer. Exploded. And a lot of the casualties were people who were standing by the window watching the fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, bad, 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 bad. Very bad. Yeah, I learned that very, when I was managing very supermarkets. Bad. Get people away from windows when you've been told that there's a potential terrorist attack. Not that that happens very often, but we had to train for it, Sam. You've got to be prepared. No, you do, yes. It doesn't happen hugely often in a Waitrose somewhere in Oxfordshire. <laughs> but you've got to be prepared, Sam. You never know when. And in fact, windows <laughs> smashed as far away as Truro. No, the one in Nova Scotia. So only 100 kilometres away. Fuck this geography. Literally fuck this geography. <laughs> what is wrong with no, you, Canadians? It's still 100 kilometres. 100 kilometres is a long bloody way know, away. It is, isn't it? But not if it were the one in Truro, Devon, then that would be even... Is it Devon? Is there a... Cornwall. Cornwall. Come Cornwall, on now. Sorry. Um, a heavy gun from SS Mont Blanc landed over five kilometres away, part of its anchor, wow. which was huge, landed over three kilometres away, and the IMO was tossed onto the shores of Dartmouth. The blast then created a tsunami that was 18 metres high in a First Nations settlement like of Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaq, I think I pronounced that correctly, on this side of the Halifax Harbour was also completely wrecked. 
this side being the Dartmouth side. Um, Charles Mayers, who was an officer on another ship, was reportedly thrown a kilometre through the air but managed to survive the landing. You'd be counting your blessings there, oh. wouldn't you? You'd be thinking you'd... Certainly bloody would. Yeah. <laughs> um, around 1,600 buildings were destroyed, around 2,000 people were killed, and around 9,000 were injured. Tens of thousands were left without adequate shelter in a Canadian winter. Remember, this was December. Mm. In the aftermath of the blast, the deputy mayor took control of things. Luckily for him, there were military personnel in the city who he was able to call upon. It also didn't take long for naval ships to arrive in the port, and the crews began the search for bodies, as well as setting up the ships as floating hospitals. Um, If there is a positive um, side to this story, if there is um, something to take away from it, it's how well people clubbed together in the aftermath of the disaster. Firemen arrived before the end of the day from hundreds of kilometres by train. Supplies and medical staff soon arrived too. People and supplies flocked to Halifax to help. Money flooded in from as far away as Australia. The day after the blast, a blizzard swept through the city, which was either seen as a good thing because it helped put out the fires, or a bad thing because people were freezing without shelter. Um, here's an interesting one for you. A local school was set up as a morgue to process the bodies. That's not the interesting bit. Interestingly, the man in charge of the morgue used a system that had invent- been invented only a few years earlier by his father in 1912 to identify those who had died in the sinking of the Titanic. A process that also took place in Halifax. Yeah. In the years after the blast, those piloting the SS Mont Blanc were blamed. This was later reviewed and both the Mont Blanc and the IMO were found to have been equally to blame for the disaster. The last remaining survivor of the disaster, a lady called Kay McLeod Chapman, died in 2017 at the age of 105. Good innings. Crikey. Yeah. That's a, that's a bloody good innings, isn't it? Anyway, and the people of Halifax to this day wow. donate a Christmas tree to Boston as a thank you for their support after the blast every Christmas. Oh. Um, here's a final uplifting story in inverted commas. Vincent Coleman. And a box of fireworks to Belgium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was very cool. Um, here's a final uplifting story. Well, the last person who survived it's died, so it's okay. Um, Vincent Coleman was operating the rail yard a short distance from the pier that SS Mont Blanc collided with. He found out early on that SS Mont Blanc was laden with explosives, I think from someone else who, who knew, because very few people seemed to know about it. He began to flee with some colleagues when he realised there was a passenger train arriving soon. He returned to his post and sent out an urgent telegraph message to stop the train. This is quite a famous message, I think. The message yes. was reportedly, hold up the train, ammunition, ship of fire in Harbour Market, making for Pier 6 and will explode. Guess this will be my last message. Goodbye, boys. Um, don't know what accent there was. I think it was maybe about four different accents in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ended a little bit uh, like uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I thought it sounded a bit like Kevin Spacey in, in um, House of Cards. Oh. Um, Coleman then died in the blast, but his actions saved the passengers on the train and also alerted the Intercolonial Railway to the imminent disaster, helping it to respond immediately. Great example of human spirit, isn't it? It is. It, was, it is. It's a, it's a horrible story. It's a terrible story, but it is... A... Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an appalling tragedy. It basically completely levelled the town, to all intents and purposes, the town was yeah. destroyed. Because anything that wasn't immediately levelled very quickly caught fire, given that most of the town was made of wood. Yeah. But it is, you're absolutely right, despite the disaster, it is a, you, when you research it and you read about it, you find out that actually um, how people behaved in the aftermath was very, very heroic. People coming from hmm. hundreds of kilometres away the very day to help out. Great story, Tom. Great story. Genuinely is very interesting I've, and worth reading I think up it's on. your classic holy cheese, isn't it? It's all the holes in the cheese aligning. I think there were a number of yes. events that just happened to take place at exactly the wrong time for it all to come together. 
I seem to remember reading that prior to the First World War, these explosives weren't actually allowed into the Halifax port. There was an exception, I think, made, yeah, yes. Yeah, so... Because the port didn't have handling facilities for explosives originally, but there was so much coming and going, and the range of the ships at the time was such there was no option, I don't think, but to allow explosive-laden ships coming from New York to stop there to refuel, I think. Possibly, possibly. I mean, one of the, I think one of the worst things was that actually... Look at me being all Mr History and shit. Nobody knew... <laughs> I think that was one of the big problems, is actually very few people in Halifax actually knew that the ship contained a huge amount of explosives. Yes. Had they known, then they could have said, oh, your Orsteers, are the boat, let yeah, them through. Yeah, but I mean, obviously there were reasons to keep it secret. Yes, that's true. But also reasons not to. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good reasons They're not to. probably the same reasons, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Tom, thank you very much. Uh, we have, because we're recording this on Monday, a mere two days before it's due to go out, I, it may well be late, apologies audience, uh, we've already planned a topic for next week, haven't we? Uh, you di- I can't remember what it was, for but the yes, patrons. you did say. Uh, I think we're doing printing, aren't we? Printing, yes, okay. Yeah, so we'll do printing next week for the patrons, and if you want to join us as a member of the Order of the Bath, you can, that was genius, uh, sorry, patreon.com slash that was genius, where for three, four or five pounds a month you get doodles for every episode, Exclusive episodes every other week. Medals you can print off at home and wear around the house uh, whilst naked and making beautiful love to your partner of choice. Uh, or your partner of necessity, when I judge. And you also get three songs, which I listened back to the other day, and crikey, they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> All for just three, four or five pounds a month. That's patreon.com slash thatwasgenius. So, printing for the patrons... And then I think you were talking about... Did I say rivalries? Rivalries for the public the week after. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out That Was Genius, a funny history podcast group on Facebook, which is our meme-sharing repository. Uh, not to be confused with our meme-sharing suppository, which is when <laughs> I st- stick medieval paintings of knights wrestling snails up my ass, And... Uh, <laughs> You can also, I mean, you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram if you like. We haven't posted there in quite a while. Uh, just search for That Was Genius. And if you have any episode suggestions, want to get in touch with us, then you can go to thatwasgeniuspodcast.com and fill out the form or email thatwasgeniuscast at gmail.com. Right. I don't know quite what you're doing then, Tom, but it oh, sounds sorry. like you're operating heavy machinery. Oh, that was me stroking some spittle off of my microphone. Oh, that is just gorgeous. I don't know how the spittle got there, but it must have been mine. There's nobody else gorgeous. in the Gorgeous. Well, I don't think it's mine. I don't think that's how the internet works. Was that the sound? Do you want to? Do you want to? Yes. Do you want to stop that and say? Do you want to stop that and say goodbye? <laughs> Can't hear you, Sam. What are you saying? Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.